Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woo-hoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woo-hoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woo-hoo! <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. This is Tom Donaldson. Um, uh, our show is, is going to be followed by the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry, and of course, I will be there as well as we're now calling Wednesday, Resistance Wednesday. Uh, we got a lot to talk about uh, at the end of the show, and going into the Dr. Larry show, we'll be talking about the events that are happening now in Washington, uh, D.C., and we're going to be having a lively discussion there. But tonight, I'm also going to start off with Jennifer Cobera who is, works with Rational Ground, uh, a great organization that does some, some of the best data analysis on COVID out there anywhere. And uh, I know we've had Justin Hart on our show at least three different times. And uh, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. What is, by the way, why don't you kind of give us a background of yourself? Because I know you're not just, a res- you, you don't just work for Rational Ground, but you you got a pretty good resume, so why don't you kind of give everybody a shot at that resume there? Sure. So my professional background is pretty uh, varied. I have uh, degrees in electrical engineering. I worked in nuclear energy for a while. I worked for my dad's agricultural business while I was raising my kids. Um, I worked in mobile app software for about four years. I wrote iPhone apps for a little while and uh and I wasn't enjoying that, and I just got mad at my newspaper. I got tired of yelling at my newspaper every morning and decided I could do just as good a job and opened a, um, a local news website for my county. Uh, it's called Electoral Chronicle, and I just try to be kind of a news aggregator. I, I cover local meetings, uh, try to just keep up on local news so that people can be informed. And as part of that, I started doing a daily article on our local COVID data and keeping spreadsheets and making charts. And then sometime mid-summer, a friend helped me find this kind of hidden link on the Florida Department of Health website where you could actually, if you wrote down all the numbers of the, they, they keep, it's, it's their source for their chart of death by day. So, you know, on, if you go to the, the dashboard, they've got a chart of how many deaths every day that was the data for that chart and if you pull it down um, and then you look at it again the next day you can tell which days they added deaths to and what I found out is when you know when they say we had 129 deaths today in Florida that was those were actually added it's usually over at least 30 days if not up to 50 or 70 days sometimes so um, I, I was able to, to break out where which days deaths were being added to and how far back they're going. And, you know, when the rest of the media is running with Florida had its highest deaths ever yesterday, that's never true. We never know what yesterday's deaths were today. It's always going back months usually, and it's always going back at least a month. 
anyway, I started, started tracking that on Twitter and um, became involved with Rational Ground, which is a just a group of very loosely affiliated volunteers, basically, who um, are amplify each other's messages with COVID. So we track data, a lot of different kinds of data, um, track trends, compare different states. Um, we, we do all kinds of things and and kind of you know push push our evidence off of each other all the time to to kind of hone our message. Now, let me ask you a question, because uh, like I say, you guys, I mean, I know Justin's a data analysis guy, and and I know that you, obviously, you've got engineering and, you know, scientific background there. Uh, and so, I guess the question, how did you guys all get together? I mean, I mean, how did you and Justin's and the whole group, did you, when you, how did you find each other? Well, I think Justin's kind of the common thread. He's he's the one that, that gathered the group to start with. And then over time, as we all interact on Twitter and we find the people who respond to us and, and respond to us with data, and then, you know, we follow other people and then we'll come to the group and say, hey, you know, this other guy is doing a really good job with, you know, pick, pick your, you know, North Dakota data or New York data or Arizona data or California data, whatever it is. They're doing great jobs. Let's bring them in. So we invite the people who, you know, essentially agree with our, our COVID policies, which, you know, we're pr- almost uniformly anti-mask, anti-lockdown, pro-open schools, uh, you know, the, as much normality as possible while, while protecting the vulnerable. And so we just gather in people who, who think like us and who, and who do data work. Like, you have to do work, really, to, to be in rational ground. So we're looking for other people out there like us. We bring them in. All right. Well, here you guys recently did a study on efficacy of masks, and if I remember correctly, you compared the 27 that had mask mandates with those states that didn't have mask mandates. What was the results? What did you find? So when so when you're looking at the state level, what what we did with this study, and it's not like an official study; it's really just a data aggregation, really. Um, but what we did is we took the time period May 1st. December 15th, and then we took for each state um, the days that they had a mask mandate versus the days that they didn't have a mask mandate. And when they switched, when they put a mask mandate into effect, we allowed, I think, 14 days, um, you know, for that to to have an effect before we started counting. And then we counted um, cases by population in that state um, when they did have a mandate versus when they didn't. And what we found was that um, among the 50 states in D.C., um, 15 of them never had a statewide mask mandate. And 10 states had an effective date on or prior to May 1st. And um, Mississippi, Mississippi actually had one that expired on September 30th. So when states did have a mandate in effect, they averaged 27 cases per 100,000 population per day. When they did not have a mandate, they averaged 17 cases per 100,000 per day. So 27 with, 17 without. Um, we did the same thing for Florida counties, and it was closer. Um, in, in Florida, counties that had a mask mandate, they averaged 23 cases per 100,000. Without a mask mandate, they averaged 22 cases per 100,000. You can make all kinds of arguments about, you know, all kinds of things all kinds of things, right? But the fact is when you look at this, what you find is that masks don't make a difference. You could argue that you have more cases with a mask mandate, but I think there's probably other factors um, involved there. 
what you can't argue is that masks unequivocally make a difference. They don't. There's no benefit in cases by having a mask mandate. Okay. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. We let's kind. Of, yeah. If, if you know, the reason why I'm asking because I know the Danish study would indicate that they seem to be very little benefit with masks. Or at least with cloth masks. So the Danish study was, was similar in that there was like a slight difference, but it wasn't statistically significant, which is kind of the same thing we found. There's a slight difference, not statistically significant. So same thing. Yeah. Danish study essentially found no difference. Yeah, so it's within the margin of error. So yeah. Right, exactly. Well, look, yeah, right. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I guess the question because I you know, it, it's like the first one number one, uh I live in Iowa where I would say I can still do about ninety percent of what I could before the pandemic, or at least eighty-five. To, I would say eighty-five, ninety percent, which is about as good as you're going to get in most of the states. In it. But there are, you know, like stores, Hy-Vee, all that. They'll say mask mandates. We do have a mandate, uh, you know, in crowds, in areas, in buildings, uh, and I do wear it. It's just again, I can't say I do it because oh my god, I'm saving my life or saving others. But it's almost like I'm making everybody around me feel better. It's a nice placebo effect. It's a nice way of putting it. Uh, would that be a good way to describe a mask, a placebo? Well, there's no evidence that the, especially cloth masks but or surgical masks, either one, any of the masks that you commonly see people wearing, there's absolutely no evidence that they stop viruses. There's just not. That was Everybody believes that. All public health scientists believed that before March. We've got tons of statements. We've got Fauci saying, oh, gosh, no, you don't public, you know, healthy people don't need to wear masks. There's, you know, we've got Jerome Adams, same thing, February, March. Um, you know, people don't need to wear masks. So that's silly. Why would people wear masks? I mean, that, that's essentially what they all said until all of a sudden it was, well, we all know masks. We all, know, we all know that masks work. Everybody should wear masks. But the, the science didn't change. We've got actually years and years of uh, random controlled trials of people wearing masks and not wearing masks. And in fact, there's one that found that wearing cloth masks, people had more of a tendency to get sick from viruses um, in a hospital setting even. So we, we don't, we have lots of evidence that masks do not work. And, and all we have since March is models and models. What they do is they, they assume huh. that a mask stops X percent of the virus. And then they, you know, and it, basically, if you if you throw through virus through a mask in a, you know, in a physical demonstration, it, it stops. Let's say it stops 40% of whatever it is you're shooting at it, and then they feed that into the virus and make a bunch of other feed that into the model, make a bunch of other assumptions about how population transmission works, and then say, oh, you know, the masks will stop 90% of transmission or whatever it is that the model says. And then they say, oh, look, we, this, this shows that masks work. The real data shows that masks doesn't work, don't work. And um, one of our members at Rational Ground, Ian Miller, does these just fantastic charts where he, he charts yeah, out either on, cases yeah. or deaths over time. Yeah, yeah hold on that thought. I will get right back. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files with Jennifer Cobera. Don't forget a little bit later tonight. Today, uh, Coco Koski will be joining me for the last 15 minutes to talk about what's going on in Washington, and we'll be continuing that discussion on the resistance hour with Dr. Larry and George Landreth and Coco as well. So we should have a lively discussion starting at the end of this, uh, at the end of this show, and moving forward. 
tuned in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And don't forget, on the bachelorradionewsnetwork.com, you can listen to all of our shows uh, anytime, anyway. Uh, If you wanted to, like I say, listen to this show uh, next week, you'll be able to listen to it one more time. All right. uh, And don't forget, if you want to comment, call in at 646-929-0130, Okay, Jennifer, okay, go ahead and continue. Sure. Going back slightly to the point, going back to the point you made about there's a there's a a, a, intuitively you would think that masks work, right? You know, you you, it it looks like it would be a barrier. The the point is that the holes are so big, especially in cloth masks. The holes are so big relative to the size of the virus is that the virus just goes through it. And even if it didn't, it goes out the sides. These aren't fitted masks. It goes it, when you, when you if your glasses are fogging up when you're wearing um, a mask that's because the air goes up out the it doesn't air doesn't preferentially go through a barrier it preferentially flows around the barrier it's just like water so you know the air with the viruses is going right out any gaps if your breath is getting in and out the virus is getting it out so there are masks and 95 masks are, are kind of the minimum level of protection for a virus and if you're actually worried and if you're actually in a, in a place that you have to be and you're concerned, that's what you should wear. Surgical masks and cloth masks are not protective against viruses and it's actually dangerous for our public health to be telling us that they are. But okay, so back to whether masks work in populations. Um, Ian Miller does these great charts and he, he puts cases or deaths for a given region on a chart and then he, put, he draws lines where they had their mask mandates. And um, we've got three, three different versions of these at Rational Ground. If you go to rationalground.com and put chart in the search box, um, you can just see a whole bunch of these. And the, it's very, very illustrative to look through because you can see that the, really the most interesting ones are where he puts two states side by side, for example, North Dakota and South Dakota, which have very, very different policies because South Dakota never had a statewide mask mandate. Um, North Dakota had more restrictions than South Dakota did, but their curves are identical. I mean, they absolutely go up at the same time. They peak at the same time. They come down at the same time. Uh, the, this is a regional, it's called, we call it seasonal virus, meaning it hits different regions at different times. Um, Seasonal may be a bit of a misnomer, but what what we mean by that is that it hits different places at different times um, based on, we're not sure why, but but certainly uh, it hit the Northeast in the spring, it hit the South, Florida, Arizona, California, Texas um, in July, Um, it hit the upper Midwest around Thanksgiving, you know, October and November, Um, it's now hitting California really bad, even though California, I mean, Look at everything that we've been told that would stop the virus, California has done since March, and they're getting hit super, super hard. So what does that mean? Well, nobody's addressing this issue that they did everything right. Everything that Florida is being told 
like, oh, if Florida would just do this and this and this, they would stop killing their, their people, right? California is doing all of it. California is faring far worse right now than Florida. Now, Florida might still peak in January. We don't know. But the point is we're not killing our economy. We're not killing small business. We're not keeping our children out of school. We're not adding to suicides and overdoses the way California is because they have closed everything down to fight one single threat. Florida is more about, hey, you know, we're going to look at the overall public health, the overall economy, everybody's well-being, and we're going to try to protect the vulnerable. Okay, let me, yeah, uh, let's go back to Florida versus California. Because uh, now I will say this, I, uh, Justin was on the show, and I want to kind of get your kind of views on this, but then we're going to go into the comparison. And, and I, and it was like I think it was September, the first time you came on the show, and I said, at that time, you know, California's death rates, and they're still compared to the national average, below the national average, you know, on a per capita basis. But I said, yeah, California seemed to have been able to basically not get really hit with the death. Even though their economy is, you know, even though they shut down their economy, and he said to me, he said, "Well, here's what's going on. First of all, the Hispanic community has basically seen a surge because they're just they're going to quit, you know, they're going to enjoy their life. You know, they got, you know, you know, Fourth of July, they have families and they do that. And he said that you look at the average age of Hispanic, it was younger that were getting infected." Then he said the problem you're going to run into is like places like Northern California where they've been bunkered down. What happens when they put their heads up and the virus is still there? He kind of indicated there's going to be another surge in California, which, by the way, he, you know, he proved to be absolutely correct. So here's my question to you, because what I find is – my question to you is did the delay of the lockdown lead to, let's say, delaying the – the normal virus transmission, you know, what it goes through, and by delaying it, we delayed it right into the winter months, and it became the respiratory infection versus the flu? It's entirely possible. It's, it's, you know, it's really hard to know. We'll be sorting this stuff out for, for years. But going yeah. back briefly to, to California's per capita deaths, Keep in mind that they're surging in hospitalizations right now. I think they're getting close to peaking, but the deaths are going to continue for, you know, four to six weeks. So they're, they're piling them up. And, you know, I, we, we, we'd have to look again in, in, you know, February or March to see how they're, they're comparing. I suspect everybody pretty much ends up in the same place. But anyway, um, does it get worse if you delay it? I, I think so. I, I do think if we had allowed the, the young and healthy people to just continue, continue their kind of normal interactions, um, just kind of passing it to each other with each one who got, which is what is this usually for a young person, you know, a mild cold or, you know, they, they might have to stay home for, you know, they might, it might be like a flu where you get kind of knocked on your back for a week. It certainly can be really bad for yeah. people. But the vast majority of young people, it's a mild cold. So you allow them to pass this mild virus between themselves. But every one of them, once they recover, becomes a break on, on the pandemic surge, right? So, and now the longer that you keep that from happening, the longer you have to lock down the elderly because you're just keeping the, vi- the virus circulating at these kind of low levels where you never, you never let it just burn out, but it's not, it's not – once it's burned out, we saw this in the Northeast, like they hit, got hit so hard in the spring 
And then they had nothing in the summer. I mean, they were testing like crazy and they couldn't find cases. That's because they had this just massive immunity built up. Well, California never did that. So you've kind of got it circulating at this kind of, you know, moderate level where everybody's always at risk. And you have, to comp- you have to keep trying to protect the elderly, and it's still circulating in the hospitals. It's possible that that doesn't happen if you just let it run through the healthy young people, and then they become a break on infection. We don't know because we haven't really allowed that to happen anywhere. Now, if you look at Sweden, they did, and they've had – there's a lot of people talking about cases increasing in Sweden, but, you know, their ICU usage and their, um, their deaths really haven't gone up any more than you would expect during a normal respiratory season. California, for whatever reason, I think is, is getting a, you know, a really, really bad respiratory virus season in the winter, which is, I think, essentially COVID is the respiratory virus this season because flu is gone. And, and yeah. honestly, hospital usage everywhere is pretty much what it was in the, the 2018 flu season. And we've got lots of stories from 2018 about hospitals being overwhelmed. Yeah. So it's, this isn't new. So this is usually a routine respiratory season. Always. Yeah, if you, look at, if you yeah. look at, um, like, for example, the CDC death curves where you can, it's kind of deaths by month, it always starts going up in November and it'll stay up and it'll start going down in February. You expect deaths to increase between November and February. It's just, it's just how things are. And hospital yeah. usage, certainly. Well, yeah, here's a, a quick, I'm going to follow a quick point then with what you say about New York because I'm, I'm looking at the seven day, the CD, I'm just looking at the seven day CDC. Uh, numbers and you look at it and basically in New York the state of New York it's 82.6 cases per 100,000 the city of New York is about 59 maybe about two thirds of that so in effect uh, you know that sounds like the point you were making that they have gone through their worst and then whereas the rest of the state is catching up yes Again, what you always see at, is um Yes. When you when people try to say that an, an area is going through a second surge, if you, when you drill down, you find it's not typically the same exact region. It's, an, it's a region that is nearby, maybe part of the same state, part of the same country, but wasn't hit hard the first time. Um, we don't really see second, you know, not in terms of deaths. There's a weird thing going on where we're still getting lots of cases in places, although, like you say, it's less in New York City. But we think a lot of those may be um, COVID tests picking up um, trace infections or, or, you know, people that maybe it's just in the, in the nasal cavity, but it's not a person isn't actually infected. Um, Cause this is just weird that there's so much additional infection in, in, in an area that really should have herd immunity, but it's, it's, also true that that by messing with the way society works by messing with the normal flow of interactions between people we have just totally destroyed the whole concept of herd immunity yeah oh yeah let's yeah here's the thing i spoke i remember talking to you know justin and a couple other people on this as well is you look at the average flu season for the past decade and you're going 45 million to 60 million it disappears it dissipates. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at the CDC numbers, they're basically, you know, if you look at their, let's say, their case numbers, uh, you know, they're basically, you know, you look at their ratio, we're looking at a possibility of 140 million 
people already infected. That's almost three times what we've seen in the regular flu season. It'd be the, the you know, by delaying what you talk about, the normal, you know, virus uh, transmission route and delaying it, or is it is there a possibility that the novelty of the virus may be something else, a little different? Your thoughts? Well, certainly there's, there's all kinds of factors, and, and if this is, um, a novel virus that maybe a lot of people don't have any resistance to, which honestly, that's kind of up in the air. There's, there, you know, the T cell studies show that maybe as many as 50% of people already have some resistance to this. But keep in mind that when you have resistance to something, you can, you're, you get, you can get exposed to it. You, you fight it off. You might barely notice the symptoms as your body fights it off. That's, that's what resistance is. It doesn't, and, and during that time, if you happen to get a COVID test, it's going to be positive. You would never be sick. You're probably not ever infectious. We don't know. There's, we, we, we know so little about the, you know, the details of all of this, and, and I honestly don't understand why we haven't had better studies, except that there doesn't seem to be motivation to do studies that will help us get out of this mess. Um, so, yeah. but the... the Certainly, there's there's a novelty aspect to it. There is um, herd immunity is is based on the idea that people have normal social interactions. That there are a few people that have contact with a lot of people, but most people don't see that many people. And that the people, the connectors, they call them, that that see the most people, those are the ones that you actually want to get sick and recover and become the breaks on infection. And you get enough of those people immune, and you get herd immunity because those people become a break on the transmission by breaking all of those connections and all those people that would normally see a lot of people. They're not allowed to see a lot of people. Now I think herd immunity percentage has gone up now, you know, now any random person you see has probably only seen a few other people. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. That's so, Tom Johnson yeah, with Jennifer Carabo. Gosh, sorry. Cabrera. Right. Cabrera. Yeah. Cabrera. Here with Rational Ground, and we'll be right back on the Bachelor News Radio Network and the Donaldson Files. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to the Bachelor, uh, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you have any questions, call us at 646-929-0130. Don't forget, you can listen to this show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, the L.A. Bachelor News Radio Network. And, uh, okay, and we're back with Jennifer. Uh, okay, let's, let's talk very briefly about Florida because, you know, you're, you're Rhonda Santina. I thought he's done a pretty good job as anybody is going to do with this virus with the popu- you know, the, the diverse population that he has, and particularly the high incidence of seniors. Uh, in your view, what did he get right? So he started out similar to most, you know, with the two weeks to slow the spread and 30 days to whatever it was. And, um, you know, and then on May, May 4th, he started saying, hey, you know what, we're going to we're going to start opening up. And, you know, here's the, the constraints. And basically, I think my 
my county went to like 50% occupancy and we've, we've had a mask mandate since May 4th and some counties have mask mandates and some counties don't have mask mandates. And we just kind of went through the summer like that um, with each county setting their own occupancy rate, setting their own mask mandates and, and DeSantis basically saying that he trusted local leaders to, to set the rules for, for their, based on their county situation. And then, you know, Florida went through its surge in June and July. And again, just out of nowhere, people want to blame it on reopening, but we reopened on May 4th. And the cases didn't start increasing until the middle of June. That's six weeks. That's not like an instant, oh, you opened up and everything went bad. That, and, and then, you know, Arizona did the same time. Texas did at the same time. Southern California did at the same time. So I, there, you can't blame the reopening. But, but what our governor did is he, held, he didn't panic. And in fact, Disney World opened at the peak of cases, which is astonishing. Most places wouldn't, most governors wouldn't have permitted that. But he said, hey, I trust Disney. They've got a good plan. Um, let them open and we'll see what happens. There's been, you know, no surges connected to Disney World. And they've been open the whole time. Then, um, you know, we went through it. We went through our peak. We went through the, it came back down again. The activity settled back down. And on September 25th, uh, first of all, in the, in the middle of September, um, our governor had a roundtable, which I've seen very few other politicians do this. And he brought in Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, Martin Kohler from Harvard, and Michael Levitt from Stanford. And he asked them um, all kinds of questions about COVID, where during that uh, roundtable, we really saw how knowledgeable our governor was, that he, he's read the studies, he's looked at the data, he understands you know, everything I understand about COVID. And he, he asked very, very intelligent questions. And the, the roundtable, you know, they, they, they agreed with him that, that masks don't make a difference and that lockdowns are counterproductive and that schools should be open, you know, among the many topics they talked about. And then a few days later on September 25th, the governor said that there would be no business closures in Florida. The counties no longer have the power to do any kind of business closure. He allowed them the, oh, and then he removed any fines on individuals for not wearing masks. Now, the problem with that is that counties still require businesses to mask their employees, and some counties require businesses to enforce mask mandates within the businesses. So a lot of counties are now using businesses as enforcers, and our governor is still allowing that, and I'm, I'm, I oppose him on that. But overall, he has been excellent. He's held strong against a media that just keeps accusing him of killing people, that they keep predicting that, you know, wait two weeks and Florida will be stacked with dead bodies, wait two weeks. And, and every time, I mean, yeah, we're, we're in a, a respiratory season um, increase right now, as is almost all of the rest of the world, honestly, or anybody in our hemisphere. And, but there's no crisis. So, you know, he, I, I think he's done, he's done as well as anybody and probably better than, than almost anybody else. Maybe Christy Nelm. Is, is up there, but she doesn't have the, the she doesn't have the forces on her that that DeSantis has had. Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, yeah. Here's what I, I like I said. I've been really impressed with his knowledge because he's actually taken the time to learn the science, and uh, and, and and I see that, and and I think that's one of the few things. Which I tell you the truth, I, I that you know why that impresses me more. Is because if he's willing to do this on COVID, there isn't anything else that comes that confronts him with his economics, whether 
if he ever became president on foreign affairs, he's going to be one of the most well-knowledged person I've ever seen because he's not afraid to call in the experts. Uh, exactly. And, 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 and to, to read for himself and to, you know, read studies and look at data himself. He doesn't depend on other people to tell him what's going on. He is immersed in this himself. And uh, is he, has he always been that way? Is this you know, kind of his mode of MO? You know, from what you I don't know him well enough to really answer that, but, but that's what I'm told is that he's, he's just kind of a geek and he, he, he likes to, to dig deep into, into topics. And, and I do, he's, he's very, very intelligent. Um, he's very good at kind of um, assimilating information and, and drawing conclusions. And he's, he has found his, his courage during this. Initially, he was not as courageous because the, the media just kept yelling at him and begging him to do a mask mandate for the entire state, begging him to lock down the entire state early on. It was, it was crazy. People from other states. Um, were messaging me, my friends, saying, why doesn't your governor lock down? And I'm like, you're in Tennessee. Why do you care whether Florida locks down? Wait, this whole idea that Florida needs to lock down yeah. because why? How does that affect you? But that became kind of a national talking point, and it continues to be because Florida continues to provide the control case in the study of you know, do we need to do all of these things? Well, Florida's not doing them, and Florida's still here so does that yeah. what does that what does that tell you well, they, yeah, nobody wants yeah, to have yeah. that control case well that's you know yeah, because i i because here's the thing i i try to tell people because one of the things i did in the beginning is in april i'm watching like some of the studies come out of california and we're looking at, at an infection fatality rate at like 0.1.2 and i'm thinking to myself do we lock down an economy for a virus that's going to kill two out of every thousand people, or three out of every thousand people, uh, and that's essentially what we've done. And nobody's, you know, and, and and I think you know, you know, your governor's one of the few who's figured out. Well, we don't crash the economy for a virus that's going to kill two to three per thousand when flu season, you know, maybe a one per thousand, and certainly the pandemic of 1968 or 1957. Both of those pandemics were very similar, uh, two to three per thousand, and what we're seeing right now with COVID. That's correct. And yeah. keep in mind that we, we have, and I, I don't know how we got to this place, but we've gotten this idea that the only thing important is getting to zero COVID. We have to, yeah. public health has, has in the past until now, um, acknowledge that that health is a has a much broader definition than that, and in fact, there's there is a cost to destroying the economy. There is a cost to closing closing schools. There is a cost to closing businesses, and those costs are in lives. They're not financial. They are in lives, and we are costing people future years of life to get to zero COVID. And in fact, most of the people that we are locking down and destroying businesses and keeping out of school are in almost no danger from COVID, but they, but they are in danger from teen suicides, from overdoses, from missed cancer diagnoses, from just missing healthcare in general, from just it being such a hassle to go get healthcare right now, they're putting it off. 
there, we are losing lives from the policies. And the fact that people don't want to talk about that because they just want to get to zero COVID is wrong and is evil, frankly. But, but back to your, your thing about, you know, do we shut down the economy for a virus that has, you know, X death rate? I would argue that we don't, that in a free society, the role of public health is to give information, as much information as they can, not to hide certain things. Um, our, our media and our public health authorities are generally hiding the fact that this virus is a thousand times more deadly for a 60-year-old than a 20-year-old. Is that right? Ten hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, it's a thousand times more deadly for the elderly than for the young. That's not being trumpeted everywhere. Right. So the role of public health should be give all the information we have, everything we know, every new study that comes out like, oh, look, here's what this study says about restaurants. Here's what this study says about schools. Here's what this study says about masks. And you allow free people to make decisions. That's how our society okay, should work. Now, now, let me throw this back to you, Miss because this is the biggest concern that I have, is the point you just made. You know, before this pandemic, scientists would have agreed with what Ron, what your governor has done. They would have agreed with that policy because that's what they would have suggested before March of 2020. What has changed over the last few months? And, 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 and here's the part I want to the thing that I've been worried about is are we getting to a point where scientists are now becoming politicized or that they're willing to serve political goals and skewer the science to those goals? We're already there. That point? Um, we're already there. there there's at some, at, at some point very, very early on, um, the academic, scientific community, media – um, you know, everybody who has any influence um, in the world essentially decided that there was only one right answer here and no other answers would be tolerated. And that has, and, and again, we'll be talking for decades about why that happened. Um, you know, one theory is that China um, locked down and that Italy, at the, Italy was kind of the next big hit region. And they were very kind of closely, um, that the region where, that was hit very badly had a lot of Chinese ties, like there was some Chinese factories there and a lot of travel back and forth or whatever. And they looked at what China was doing. They're like, well, we need to do that. So they started locking down and then Europe locked down. And then, you know, it kind of became, oh, this is necessary. And we all just, it's like dominoes falling. The whole world just said, oh, we have to lock down because China locked down because Italy locked down and look, things were terrible there anyway. So obviously we have to lock down. Because if we didn't look locked down, it would be even worse. That was the reasoning. And so we just kind of, I think everybody panicked. I really do. And it was all based on incorrect data, like um, fatality rates that came out of China of 3% or 5%. We knew in March from cruise ship studies that the fatality rate was going to be in the, you know, 0.2 range, 0.25, 0.27. We, we, we knew that in March. We knew in March that even in a closed system like a cruise ship, only about 25% of the people even got infected. We, and, and all of this has been borne out over and over. We knew that the elderly died. We knew that the young people had mild cases. We knew there were tons of asymptomatic cases. We knew all of this from the cruise ships. None of it has changed. But instead, the public health officials all went with panic because China panicked. Well, yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, the, the, let me throw it because, number one, we weren't exactly known – 
you know, the Chinese weren't exactly up front with what the nature of the virus was. No. Nope. Uh, and, and the other aspect, and again, I'm going to go back because I, I'm a, cause I think this was a you know, rational. You guys did a piece on this. And I'm going to do this real quick, and then we're going to take a quick break. And I want you to kind of respond back to it is this. He went to Congress, like in March. Now, in February, he used 0.1 to 1% in a New England journal. You know, making it sound like, okay, you know, there's a big range. But he really acknowledged the fact in February, you know, we could be on the low end versus the high end. He goes to Congress, essentially says it's 10 times worse than the flu. He was basically using the 1% over the 0.1% that we averaged over the past decade. And then he even upped those numbers a little bit later. question is, and what I want you to answer when we come back is this. Isn't that as irresponsible of an act of a scientist to basically mislead Congress when policy matters are going to be impacted? We'll be right back. Tom Donaldson here with Jennifer Gobera of Rational Ground on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to this show, the L.A. and, and other great shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network on the L.A. Bachelor News Radio Network.com. And we're back with Jennifer. Okay. That's the uh, call, 646-929-0130. And, okay, Jennifer was saying yes. that that Tony Fossey was irresponsible in what he did. And he had yes, to take he told back. Congress that that the that COVID was ten times more deadly than the flu. That is a false statement. Uh, the, the most charitable reading of it is that he was mixing up case fatality rate with infection fatality rate. But regardless, it was he had written um, a study just two weeks before that that saying that um, or not two or whatever. But he, he wrote in in a New England Journal of Medicine article on February 28th editorial that the infection fatality rate would be around similar to a severe seasonal influenza. That's what he said. And then on March 11th, what's that, 13, you know, 11 days later, he told Congress it was 10 times more deadly than the flu. And the, the, a, a, an academic paper that was written about this said, this testimony helped launch a campaign of social distancing, organizational and business lockdowns, and shelter-in-place orders. So – a misrepresentation of the fatality rate started all of this. And, and really, it's hardly been backed off on. Fauci has never made a, a, a strong point that this is not particularly deadly for young people. He instead likes to say that, oh, you know, anybody could die. Anybody could have long COVID or a severe infection, and therefore everybody should fear COVID when um, that's just not – it is true in a very technical sense, but, but a small risk 
we as we as people accept small risks every day of our lives. We accept the risk of getting in a car, you know, to drive somewhere knowing we could be killed. It happens every day, right? But yeah. it's a small risk. And same thing for children. This is a and for young people, this is a small risk um, that certainly turns bad, turns out badly for some people, but it's still small for an individual. And instead, the Fauci's messaging and in fact the entire public health messaging has been that um, so, so it's been so bad that teachers or young teachers that are in their 20s and 30s are afraid to go. Um, back to school and teach, they think that if they get COVID, they will die. It's astonishing how many people you talk to who think if they get COVID, they will die. Yeah. Well, Instead yeah, of understanding they, they that, that their yeah. chance yeah. is like one in a thousand, like you said. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because to me, this was that's more irresponsible. It's, it's, I mean, that's, and I, and to me, this is, to me, it's a, I, I, first of all, I don't believe that Tony Fauci would not have known to, you know, would it confuse those two? He fixed his disease. He's in the NIH. He's been there for like 30 years. He was involved in HIV infection. So for him to have confused that would have been irresistible. I mean, I don't know. I just can't believe that somebody would have confused that at all. Uh, it just it would not have confused that. I, I just can't believe that. I mean, it's hard to argue yes, that he has been a good actor during any of this. He he does he he flip flops yeah. his statements. He seems to to only put out the most alarming information. Public health is never supposed to be about panning people, but the the attitude of public health throughout this has been it's better to have everybody afraid because then they'll behave instead of providing information in context and allowing people to to look at their own their own yeah. risks, talk to their doctors yeah. about their risks modify their behaviors based on what they think their risk is and allow people to protect themselves with, with PPE that actually works. So you say, Hey, talk to your doctor. If your doctor thinks you're at risk for a bad case of this, now you need to protect yourself with adequate PPE when you go outside, which is probably like N95 masks, probably goggles too. Like you have to actually a cloth mask and surgical mask. The fact that people are going out and thinking they're safe with these masks on is horrendous. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, to me, it's not just that. That's why this is because we've seen articles be censored. We've seen people, you know, essentially, uh, you know, persona non gratis. I mean, certainly Scott Atlas is persona non gratis now. Uh, So the other people who signed on to the Great Barrington Declaration. Uh, good luck in getting articles published, but we're seeing this another aspect of science, and that asked and, and I'm talking about, okay, like the uh, climate change, you know, is another example to me where, quite frankly, we're dependent upon models that are crap. When I even look at the empiric evidence that exists in front of our very noses, but we're basing, we're going to be basing policies that will basically kill billions of people on a science that you have to be questionable. And if you dare to question it, you're not going to get published. Uh, You're not going to get a a tenure. Uh, You're going to be out there on the outlier. And, and And I saw this in COVID. And to me, that scares me because 
Once science becomes politicized and it loses its credibility, where do we go for credibility? Where do we go? Who do we trust, right? And and when you can't when you can't argue, when you can't say, Hey, you know, you just said that. I disagree with that and here's why. And then the first person says, Well, I disagree with that and here's why. But instead person one says to person two who's presenting evidence, person one says you should not be listened to because what you're saying is dangerous and it's going to kill people. And that's what all of us face every day. You, I put out a chart that says, here's, you know, the, the dates. Florida announced 129 deaths today. Here's the dates they actually happen. And people come on my Twitter and they say, you're killing people by making them less afraid. Yeah. What you're doing is dangerous. Well, I, yeah, yeah, that's exactly me. And, and, and by the way, I'm going to bring on a good friend of ours, uh, a good friend of mine and, who will be uh, hosting his own show in about 10 minutes, uh, Dr. Larry. Hey, Dr. Larry, how you doing? Hey there. How you doing? Real good. Hey, listen, I got a question for you because unlike other people, you've actually met Tony Fossey. You've actually worked with getting vaccines out during the Bush years. And you you came on my show and you gave, a, uh, you gave your opinion of how you view Dr. Fossey. You want to go ahead and repeat that again? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I all I can say is that of the, uh, I think it was at the time was about 29 uh, of the uh, uh, part the uh, different uh, groups in the uh, in. Uh, uh, the uh US um you know uh, what am I trying to think of the uh, uh anyway NIH. there yeah the NIH there uh there were about twenty nine different uh different groups and uh his was the biggest and the most famous and uh and uh, the most uh had the most money and uh he was also one of the least popular guys among the uh among the uh, his peers, um, he was not quite like they used to uh, talk about uh, Chuck Schumer. He said, like uh, uh, Bob Dole said, the most dangerous place in Washington is between uh, uh, Ch- Chuck Schumer and a uh, television camera. But it was pre- <laughs> it was pretty close to that. Uh, in, t- in terms of uh, Fauci, Fauci has been there, you know, since about 1970, and uh, he's had tremendous uh, longevity in 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 terms of uh, that job. But uh, he's also been very uh, tight with uh, uh, Wuhan. Uh, in fact, the uh, uh, the uh, Laboratory with with all of the uh, you know the uh, uh, dangerous uh, substances that are being um, are being uh, tested um, that was built in, in in Wuhan was done with the advice of uh, of Fauci and uh, and his uh, his group in Frederick uh, Maryland so. I guess I guess I I was never very impressed with his uh with with his theory about how to go about uh maintaining the or, or limiting 
the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, pandemic because uh, frankly, it, if if, uh, if if the president who appointed him had said anything differently, I think that's what what he would have said. So I mean, yeah. he's kind of a go along get along type of guy. Yeah. Well, I was I say my biggest fear has always been very clearly you know, on the scientific side of the equation that uh you know he is ba- you know, the scientific side of the equation is that I think he's done more to destroy the credibility of science. He's doing as much to destroy credibility of science as he's done enhancing it. All right, we're going to leave it right there. And Jennifer, you want to stay on for a little bit. Uh, I want to kind of get, you know, if you want to give your impression of what's happening in D.C. today and your thoughts, uh, Dr. Larry, and we also got Coco Konsky joining us. Uh, I'll start with you, Jennifer, if you have any extra thoughts. Oh, on D.C. today? I, I don't know. I think we're going to have to wait for the facts to come out about what happened. I, I, I don't like to talk based on, on wild rumors, which is kind of what we have right now. Um, I, I do think that um, the, the country has been, been – the, the emotion and, and rage and frustration have been building since April, right, since, since you know, we, since yeah. we, we, did two, we, we successfully did two weeks to slow the spread, and then we were told it was 30 more, and then we were told, oh, yeah, you're never coming out of this. I think it's been building. I think this was the, you know, the spark um, came today. I don't know what's going to happen. I wish I did, but I don't. Yeah. Okay. Larry, what's your thoughts? Well, I've got a lot of thoughts about that and, and uh, we'll be talking about it in more detail in the next show. But uh, for one thing, I, I think, I think it's, it's a little early to, and I agree with, uh, with your other guests that it's a little early to try to, and put all this in context. In fact, it's still going on. Um, however, I will say one thing, and I think that uh, this is a uh, an aspect of the phenomenon that we saw that we saw this afternoon, uh, and that is, uh, that is being missed entirely by the uh, press, and that is the fact that you've got. Uh, on a very short notice, uh, Mr. Trump was able to pro- produce uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, uh, volunteers to come to Washington to uh, attend this this rally, and uh, and I think that they actually represent most of those people are just ordinary people. I mean, they're not you know they're not. Uh, provocateurs and they're not political people they're just ordinary people and uh, they uh, they they were pretty loyal to uh, Mr. Trump and okay, the yeah, fact, let me ask you, yeah, the yeah, fact let me that, they, that they had some of yeah. these guys that in, in, the thugs that infiltrated is very unfortunate yeah it is but here's the question I'm going to ask you because we'll talk this uh, a little bit later on the resistance hour and I've got Coco Konsky here as well, and I want to. Uh, oh, Coco! Uh, and I want. Yeah, Coco, you there? Hello. Uh, okay, well, I guess well, I have problems with Coco. We used to have Coco. We uh, <laughs> used to have Coco. Uh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, the question I'm going to ask both of you is this. 
And then, because George and I had, I was on George's, one of George's Atlanta show, and he's going to be joining us after the hour. Uh, but when, uh, when do you sit back and say, enough is enough, we've lost the election, let's move on? Well, he didn't do that. In fact, I yeah. think what, he, what he's going to do now is still kind of a question. Um, yeah. Well, I guess right yeah. now, I mean, at this point, I mean, it, it, there's a point somewhere where you say, okay, you know, I'll deal with the, the voter fraud issue you know, after, the, after all this done and continue to investigate this. But there's that point where you have to say, okay, it's over. You know, because we've, you know, as I stated, you know, we've had four elections out of the last six in which had been, you know, where we've had people deny the legitimacy of the presidency. Certainly in 2016, that was done with Trump. And I think there's, once we get to that point where we're not going to be recognizing people who won, regardless of how we thought they won, but, you know, we won and who won or lost, you know, when did the republic, you know, how long does the republic do we keep? We can't keep much of a republic. If we're at that point, we're not even going to recognize the winner or the loser. We hit the streets. Uh, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to bring Coco in real quick, and then I'm going to say goodbye to Jennifer. Unless Jennifer, you want to stick around for the next show? Uh, feel free to do so. I wish I could, uh, but I've got a, a meeting I need to cover. Okay. All right. I'll tell you what. I'm going to say. I want to say. We want you very briefly. Uh, talk to tell very briefly. Remind everybody who you are. Uh, you know, give her background, where they get a hold of you, where they can follow you, or where they can comment to you. And uh, go ahead. Sure. I'm Jennifer Cabrera, and I'm, I'm with Rational Ground. And you can find me on Twitter at J Haskins Cabrera, or if you search for Jennifer Cabrera, you'll find me. You'll also find me C A B R E R A. And um, that's really the best place to find me. Once you find me on Twitter, then you'll I'll point you to to all my other work. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much. I appreciate you being on the show. What we're going to do, something a little bit different, is that I'm going to say goodbye with about one minute left. And we're going to go right straight into the resistance hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. I want to thank you, Jennifer, for being on the show. Uh, Then we're going to bring Coco on. Uh, George Landreth will be joining us. So we're going to have a very lively conversation about uh, what's going on. Uh, So... Trumpet, you know it's the the resistance hour with Dr. Larry Fidewa, that's me, and uh, Tom Donaldson as your co-hosts. And tonight we are going to be talking about 
the uh, events of uh, this very important day in American history. And uh, uh, we have uh, we have a couple of guests that are uh, also going to be able to uh, give us uh, uh, other uh, ideas. And um, let me start with a couple of my ideas, if that's all right with you, Tom. Uh, go right ahead. And uh, by the way, real quick, Coco, are you there? Uh, clearly. Oh, it's Coco. Hi. Yeah. Coco Konski yeah, is with us. Yeah, Coco's going with her because she wants. Yeah, she, Welcome, she's been Coco. texting me all day, and she's been texting me all day. So I, so Coco, I you have been. I have been because I have a lot of my friends who work at the Capitol, and um, you know, I first started watching it this morning. I mean, I woke up pretty late, but. I started watching it, and I swear to God, every picture, every video, every scene that I've seen of what happened today, I swear to God, guys, it reminds me of the movie White House Down. It really does. It really does. I mean, I saw one of those pictures of, like, I I don't know who this guy was, but he broke into some senator's office and just, like, had his feet up on the desk. And he was, like, smoking a cigar. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, every bad guy horror movie I have ever seen. I swear to you. I swear to you. I was like, what? So um, I've been frantically frantically texting, you know, people that I know who work in there. And I got one reply back, finally. Um, But, yeah, this is just, like, really scary. Yeah. Okay. We got George is on the line too, uh, Dr. Larry. So we got everybody in line. Let, let me. I'm going to start with this question from everybody, and then we're going to go on. Then we'll let the conversation flow. Uh, George and I have already talked about this. George. Uh, you know, by the way, I want to thank. Oh, by the way, I should also introduce uh, Coco. Is my co-host every Tuesday on the Donaldson Files. She's a writer. She's yes. an author. She's everything, and she's. Uh, a, live, you know, a lively co-host and the host of Ladies' Night what? once a month on the Donaldson on the Donaldson Files. Also, and George. Also, go ahead. also Tom, I'm also uh, going to be starting Monday. I am hosting a YouTube uh, series channel, so um, I'll give all that info out later. All right. Okay, and what's uh, so? All right, here's the question I'm going to ask everybody. Then let's then we'll go right into it because this is the same question George and I uh, talked about earlier on his show. And uh, sounds like we have some uh, background noise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what we do. Let me see. Okay. Uh, George, uh, are you there? All right. Hi, George. Hold on a sec. Hey, George, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Good. Good. Are you curious, George? (laughs) Pardon me? Are you you curious, curious, George? Well, I have to call that. In fact, as a kid, I have to be honest, as a kid, I I got a little tired of that uh, uh, book because as a kid, it was George the Jungle and Curious George, but I was always, you know, at the bus stop waiting for my bus that my fellow elementary school students, you know, George, George, George the Jungle, watch out for that tree. Ah! And I, oh, I my God. Like, oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, <laughs> okay, tell you what, here, yeah, here's the question I'm going to ask. I'm going to start off with you, Dr. Larry. Uh, let's, uh, go to Coco. Go to George. 
But how does a society or a democracy republic survive if we get to the point where we're no longer accepting results of elections? Uh, uh, Dr. Larry, you go first. Well, we have to hope we can. Um, and eventually, uh, even today, the uh, rule of law has has actually prevailed once they got enough uh, police to come in there and and start clearing out the uh, crowd. So I think I don't think we're at the point yet where we're at a lawless society. However, I do think that if if the uh, half of the American electorate that wanted uh, Mr. Trump to become the president uh, are not uh, treated. Uh, uh, carefully, that uh, we could in fact get to the point of uh, of the White House down um, sort of thing, and and I think that's a big oh, a big problem we've got to really be careful about. Okay. I mean, it was not yeah. a surrection because there weren't there weren't any weapons. If if there had if if there was really a surrection, there would have been weapons today. But supposing yeah, but there were, they, supposing they were there were weapons. I mean, here's the I mean. They were yeah, used. Larry, okay, but can I just say something yeah, ahead, quickly, go, go. though? I've been to Capitol Hill, and you're not even allowed to have a, a, a pointed hairbrush come through. So how the hell could they have like, like these flagpoles with like that were heavy objects, like bashing through? Like that makes no sense. Like so, they did have weapons. It wasn't. It wasn't well, like they. You know, they didn't have I mean, guns. Those could be considered a type of weapon if you use it forcefully, for sure. Yeah, but if you're going to really have a revolution, you're going to have to have guns, and they didn't. They, yeah. they were for most of those people were just well, ordinary people. Well, that them though. Yeah. Okay, George, why don't you get in here real quick? George, you have a little delay today. No, I'm not. You're not hearing me. No, we're not yeah, here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyhow, today I was talking with somebody, and they um, uh, they were there, and they made this comment that I thought was interesting. They said one of the people they saw rushing in that appeared to be part of the, you know, if you will, the the, the more violent element. The, um, she said she saw on their hand uh, a ha- a red hammer and sickle. Um, Tattoo on the on the back of their hand, and uh, and she said immediately, "That's not a Trump supporter." So um, my I guess my point is I'm not uh, going to in any way, shape, or form condone violence. I don't care who's doing it, but um, but I do think we have to at least uh, understand that it's very possible that some of what we saw happening today wasn't actually uh, Trump's people. And the only reason I say that is because I've noticed a trend. Um, the uh, Democrats told us that, but, that Trump was involved in Russian collusion. Guess what? It was them. They told us that Trump was, in his phone call, was, um, was trying to influence for personal gain the uh, Ukrainian relationship. Guess who did that? Biden. And so when they accuse you of something, they're coming to the conclusion that, that not only are they thinking about doing it, they probably have already done it. And so my, I guess my point yeah. is, all summer long, what did we hear about most of the violence in Seattle and Portland and around the country? It was we were told that the 
Antifa people were peaceful, but they were being infiltrated by conservatives trying to make them look bad. And so well, you know, my I, point I, I guess, I'm a, it's not yeah, on the pants. I, I'm a, I, understand, I understand what you're saying, George, but I'm, I'm, you know, right now the evidence we're seeing so far that these were Trump supporters. I mean, I don't know whether or not you got the eyewitness. I'm going to put this until somebody shows me differently. I think we have to no, make I an assumption. I'm going to not use I, a, I, I'm, I, I, I think we can't just point. Yeah, I mean, here's I'm the thing. Just saying, As a, you know, I'm just saying yeah, here's the point careful and not conclude it. Just, yeah. You can presume uh, it. Uh, but here's the thing, because here's the thing. We have been – I have been consistent on this show. Dr. Larry is on his show that we have condemned Ativa and other groups for the violence they have. We can't be any different when, let's say, there are people, you know, let's, you know, you know whether or not there are you know, people today, it's a riot. You know, you may say 95% of the people were peaceful, but 5% were rioting. We said the same thing right. on the other side of the equation, and we should be consistent right. on that because this, again, this is the point you, know, you and I were talking about earlier is that the violent side of the equation, you know, is, you know, are we getting to that point? And we need to be, you know, very careful. And, I, and Coco, I want to bring you in here. Well, go ahead, Coco. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive to any of you guys, but it's just like a lot of times when I see conservatives, um, you know, I used to be one, and you know, they'll automatically deny that it was them. But you know, I, I like if if somebody causes violence and like like what they did today, you know, I don't care if they're left or right. I seriously don't. Like I, I you know, I'm one to call them out. And, you know, the fact that they... I totally agree down, with that. Is, I this, think that's a this fair was point. Video, this, this was video. They took down the American flag and decided to put up a Trump flag. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. just, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, have you guys actually seen, like, the pictures? Like, I saw this one guy, I swear to God, looked like Chip Gaines. And he stole one of the podiums from inside the, uh, the, the uh, one of the rooms. Yeah. He, stole the po- he literally stole a podium. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. but you know, yeah. this well, is like this is insane. And for anybody who's defending yeah. this and like saying like, oh well, it's not Trump supporters. Well, I- I'm sorry that it is because the evidence proves that it is. I mean, so many, yeah. so yeah. many flags, so many yeah. Trump flags. You know, this is this is like this is Trump's party, basically. This is not the Republican Party. Yeah. Well, well, so what? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Here's the thing: the, the question to me, and this is the point I want to talk about because, you know, there's hey, Tom, a point where Tom, Tom can you yeah. hold it? Um, sure. The, oh yeah. You're listening to the uh, Resistance Hour uh, on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network. Don Zapop presents talk radio like you've never heard it before on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We go live every Tuesday and Wednesday on this network, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to thebachelornews.airtime.pro. We are on the cutting edge, and we are ahead of the curve on what is happening while the media tries to catch up. We talk issues from right to left. Once a month, we have Ladies Night, where we talk relationship in the 21st century, and nothing is off limits or taboo. Donald files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome back to the Resistance Hour, uh, which is also the home of Locker Talk with Barry Barnes, where you can hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. If you listen to uh, Barry every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com 
slash la dot uh, hyphen uh, bachelor and the podcast every day from uh, well we can do that on the uh, new uh, 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 bachelor uh, news radio network dot com. So if uh, if you're interested in having your own show or advertising, email us at la bachelor four o at gmail.com listen and stay informed and uh you're now listening to the resistance hour with a whole lot of resistors <laughs> yeah okay so go ahead yeah, I, go I, ahead I tom get, yeah i want to kind of first because here's the thing that concerns me and it's it, and it's the aspect yeah i might use the word civility but i'm not i'm going to define civility as the right because we got, we're getting ourselves close to that point where we're no longer accepting each other's born point of view as valid. I mean, literally as valid. And, it, and we got to understand you know, across the board, you know, you know, we're living in a council culture that basically, and this is going to be the end results, whether right or left. If you're going to sit back and declare everybody a, you know, fascist or a Hitler, this is the results you get. If you're going to declare everybody a, a commie. This is the results you get if we're not going to allow the points of view to be exhibited. Because to me, civility is about one thing. You know, Coco and I disagree. We're going to disagree with each other. We're going to disagree with each other. But there's a point where we But I think we can agree on this, end. Tom. I, I think we can agree yeah. that, like, anybody who, like, co- like, doesn't condemn this, like, I'm sorry. Like, I would never want to be friends with someone who is just like, eh. You know, I mean... <laughs> It, 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 it's just like it's kind of just mind-boggling. Don't forget, like they have been talking about this for weeks. This isn't like a but, shock. Like when I heard about, it, I was like, oh wow, but I wasn't completely shocked because the last couple weeks, like a lot of the really, really far right, they have been talking about planning something like this. <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't understand the the whole shock value of this. Well, no, I, well, actually, you know, to me, it's not a shock value at all. I'm not surprised either. Uh, my problem, my point is this, because I can tell you, I've been on this network, and I've literally have had callers call in or other people refuse to condemn Antiva. I had one individual say, well, they got any fascists. Well, Antiva is, in fact, the mirror image of what we saw today. And you, 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 we have to be at that point where violence is violence, a riot's a riot. Uh, George, what do you say? Well, I totally agree that um, I don't care who's committing the violence. It's not like I look at violence and say, you know, you, you rob a bank or you kill people, and if you're if you vote for the guy I vote for, then I'm okay with it. And you know, I, I that's not the, I, I'm a constitutional lawyer. I believe in the rule of law, and the rule of law requires we have standards apply to everyone across the board. That's called fairness and equity, and uh, it's it's in a reasonable approach to things. So. My view is that um, reasonable people can support President Trump or his policies. They can believe um, that he was cheated out of the election. What they can't do and still have my respect is um, commit violence because that's what Antifa did, and I spent the whole summer decrying that. And so I can't now turn back and go – in fact, I've actually spent my whole life 
the crying violence, you know. And so uh, I taught my kids that that's not how we solve problems. You have the right to self-defense, but you do not have the right to um, use your physical stature to your advantage in, uh, you know, in social settings or whatever. You know, you, just, you can't do that. So bottom line is I think um, I'm, I, I would hope that people can separate out how they feel. In other words, it's okay to be unhappy with the election results in November 2020. It's okay to believe that you were even cheated out of, out of a victory there, but it's not okay to become violent. We have to figure out as a civil society how we can work on our differences and fix them. And I would argue that we should be working to make sure that the things that we observed and the irregularities observed don't become normal. If they're normalized, then we're going to have a real problem. If we can prevent them from being normalized, and to be honest, that will not be done through violence. That will be, that will be done through productive, uh, effective arguments. And I would argue that the one thing we have to point out is it's not in anyone's best interest to have a society where uh, roughly half the population thinks that the elections are completely bogus. That will eventually, if that view becomes institutionalized, lead to a, a societal crisis and a constitutional crisis. So we have to shore up our sense of even if you don't believe that there is fraud, you would have to agree that, that – People should not be left wondering if there's fraud. Our system should be more secure. It should be more uh, transparent. Yeah. I, it should I be guess. More, I guess. I would. I, I, I would. I would uh, argue that we're already in that situation. That half the people that uh, uh, voted for uh, Hillary Clinton thought that uh, Donald Trump uh, got there by some hook or crook, and that that really uh, festered for four years. And we're now seeing uh, the out, you know, we're seeing the reaction to that uh, in this in this election. Uh, I think I think we're uh, we've got problems on both sides here, and how we oh, how yeah. we how we the big question now is how is it how are we going to proceed? How are we going to react to in some way uh, try to reconcile these differences, particularly now that we've got. Not only uh, the presidency, but also both houses of Congress uh, in the hands of, uh, of one party. Uh, I think I think we're in a very potentially dangerous ground here, because the next time that Indeed. we have a, a huge uh, outpouring of uh, support for uh, or against resistance, I guess, uh, not because they listen to this program, but this resistance to. Uh, to a uh, uh, on, on a very unpopular type of uh, program, which could be taxes or could be other things, uh, the people that come to these uh, come to this uh, big uh, demonstration might very well be armed, and they might very well be uh, you know ready for a, a, a physical war. I, I just think we've got a lot of problems here, and we've got to really be careful. Uh, how we treat each other, and I don't see okay, either good. side. Yeah. I don't see either side being very careful. I think they're both we're we're both uh, bitter and and very hostile. Okay, Coco, I'm getting coming, kind of jump in here. Who me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Uh, I'm yeah. cool for a few to walk. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, I, I literally am getting anxiety over this. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, my heart's like racing right now. Um, just because of, you know, I didn't realize that it was, it was December 30, 37th, 2020 still. Um, that's what it feels like. And, you know, I, this whole situation is just a mess. Like, I mean, the videos, like, I saw and, you know, for people that were shooting from the videos and there were pictures inside, it is, it's just, like, there's really no words. I really can't find any words because, you know, you you see the the people inside the chamber and there are these guys against the window and, like, you know, they're having guns and then, like, I, one of the videos that actually I saw that was like, holy shit, I really would not want to be this person, was there was this one um, security officer, ar- armed uh, police man, and seven or, like, eight of, like, these guys holding Confederate flags were, like, chasing him. And he had, like, a baton, and that was, like, really it. And, I, again, I don't know if he was an actual police officer or he was just, like, a security guard there. Um, and like they chased him and like, he literally like locked himself in a room. He was like trying to like fend them off. And that's scary. That's scary that there's no yeah. backup over there and why it took so long and why it took so long for the national guard to come in. And then we just found out that it was Mike Pence who authorized the, the national guard, not Donald Trump. Um, you know, and it's just, it's really scary. It's really, really frightening. You know, I don't know if any of you have actually been into like a situation like that. And I have, <laughs> And it's, it's really, really scary, especially when you're one person against like eight or nine people and they're coming after you, running after you. I mean, what do you do in that situation when you have no backup? Yeah. Well, right now we've got the, the, the police and the National Guard are rounding up the uh, or clearing out the, uh, the, the crowd with all the yellow jackets on. So I think I think we we're we're reestablishing the rule of law here, um, I, and I think I don't I don't think that well I don't know, but I'm hoping that we're not going to see any more uh, any more outbreaks uh, during this this particular environment. But 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 I'm thinking of the future now. You know what are we what what are we going to do now? I hope that people are going to be really, really thoughtful about that. Because yeah. if we well, I mean, that's where I think that's where values come in. Because there was a time when I think, as Americans, we were every bit as divided on politics, probably throughout our history. But something has happened to the point now where we've allowed I mean, those and differences also, to like, vilify you know, others. Someone was killed today. Someone was shot and killed. So, right. you know, there's that as well. I mean, it turns out she was a Trump supporter. I'm not saying, like, she obviously, like, obviously no one deserves this at all. You know, when you go to certain situations where you put yourself in, you know, you can't really be shocked about the outcome. Like, I'm not going to go if, if I know that there's a riot. Like, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. Like, I would never do that because I understand what could happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, a oh, lot of people you, don't you, really you, comprehend that. They don't. 
Yeah. Like you yeah, would never go. To, you, if, would you go into a riot right now, like by yourself, um, and, and you think you're going to be safe? Like no, no matter no matter where it is, like you're not. And I think a lot of people yeah. don't think about this. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Larry, I understand you. You're like 12 miles away from this, right? You're pretty close. Somewhere. 12 miles away. 12 miles away. Yeah, aren't you, you know, how close are you to all of this happening? Oh, well, I I live on a little farm outside of Washington, and uh, so I'm yeah. pretty uh, pretty well isolated, but there's a lot, I can see the, I'm watching the, uh, the television as, as we talk, and that's why I'm seeing some of this uh, action here, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that there are some really big questions uh, that that we're facing here, and 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 first of all, biggest first one is what is Trump going to do? Is he really going to uh, concede finally and 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 walk away, or, or is he going to do something else? And Ooh, then, can, can I offer my theory? Can I offer my theory? And, and then what is Biden going to do? Is, yeah. is he going okay, to? Okay, go ahead, Coco. Yeah. Um, now, this is pretty a long shot, but this is a theory that I've heard, and I, I kind of tend to agree with it. But um, I would not be surprised if Mike Pence this week um, decides to resign or just just quit. I honestly will not be surprised by that because he's still – Mike Pence, yes. Well, he's, he's, um, he's, he's going to be out of a job anyway. Oh Yeah, yeah, I know. And so I, I think, you know, especially with the veto that Mitch McConnell, you know, did, even Mitch McConnell came out today and, like, condemned what these people were doing. Um, I think because Mitch is all about – he's a very practical, like – he's like a true politician, if you will, the sense. And I feel like he doesn't work with chaos, and chaos is Trump. Trump is chaos. Whether, like, you like him or not, he – build this type of chaos situation, you know, mistakenly or not. And McConnell does not work that way. So well, the fact yeah. that he was hold, kind of backing out the last couple of weeks hold, from hold, Trump. Hold that, hold that thought, Coco. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the Doc to uh, Resistance Hour on uh, the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the Dr. Larry, I mean the uh, Resistance Hour, uh, with Dr. Larry and uh, Tom, and Tom Donaldson, and um, 
go uh we were just we were just interrupted uh coco uh why don't you could you finish your thought please can I remember my thought? <laughs> if you can remember it, would you please if finish it? If I can it? remember it, sorry. It's, it's, been, it's been a long day, and I, I can't believe it's like almost 5 o'clock. But, um, you were, te- yeah, you were okay. telling us what you thought uh, Mr. Trump was so, going to do. Yeah, well, um, I think the thing with Mitch McConnell is that, like I said, he does not work in chaos. He likes things like kind of like orderly. And I think with Trump, there's no such thing as just orderly or, you know, I guess, if you will, like, you know, non-chaos. And um, I think that's one of the reasons he's been, he was backing down for a bit um, the last couple weeks. I mean, like, even today he came out and condemned what happened, like, right away. Um, and I think right now it, it's just – I think Trump is kind of enjoying this, to be honest, enjoying, you know – obviously not enjoying people dying. I don't know. But um, I think he's kind of enjoying his last moments here. And, you know, it kind of of shows. Um, But like I said, yeah, I I think Mike Pence, you know, possibly, you know, the next day or two or three. um, And like I said, I'm not taking any bets, but I think, I think he's gonna, he's gonna step down. And just leave Trump to everything that he's done. I really believe that. Yeah, I, well, that probably wouldn't I, make I, much I, difference. Yeah. No, I. Well, it, it, I, I know I mean, it might, he, might not make much difference, but it's it for him. It, it, he may think that. He may think he may have yeah, people I, telling him, you know, like. I mean, like I said, Mike Pence is the one who called the National Guard. Trump had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Well. well yeah. I, yeah. Well, uh, well, my view is that's not going to happen. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't see that happening in the next uh, 15 days until the inauguration. All right. All right. Let me – okay, here's – let me put it this way. Are we – I guess the question, George, is civility. How do you define civility? How do you – and I use the word – how do you define civility? If somebody says, you, what's a civil society? What's civility in a civil society? So I think in a pluralistic society where we have, you know, constitutional government, what it really means is we agree, we can disagree. And, um, and then we try to settle those disagreements, at least temporarily through voting. And then periodically, you know, we re we repeat that exercise, you know, rinse, repeat, like, you know, with shampoo, um, periodically to make sure that we're, you know, current on our, on our, um, you know, representative democracy. But the bottom line is, um, we've kind of gotten to the point now where if you support a certain candidate, you're not really a good human. You're not really – you're not deserving of rights. You're, you shouldn't be allowed to tweet. You shouldn't be allowed to – your free speech doesn't really apply to you kind of thing. And I, So it's very weird, but I think we have to get back to the idea of it's okay to disagree. Let's just not be disagreeable. Um, we ought to have robust debate. Um, and we don't have to be hateful in that debate. We can have conversations. I've noticed on Facebook, you know, someone was pausing the idea that, um, that Jesus was a socialist, and I said, well, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, I, not that I don't think so. I'm confident he wasn't, but I, I pointed out that his admonitions to 
take care of the poor and the needy were to individuals, and it was to be done out of the concern of their heart, not to have, not to kind of job you know job day task out to government to view it coercively. And and then the next question I got or the next statement I got was something about how I was a horrible human being and I obviously you know hate God and it was just like wow that's interesting because I thought I gave a, a thoughtful response you could disagree with me, but but that's kind of where we are in the world today and to me civility is we have every right to disagree, but what we ought to do is not assume the other party is evil because we disagree. You know, if they're talking about killing and rounding up six million Jews and gassing them, sure, then they're probably evil. But if they just disagree with us on what the best marginal rate of taxes is, or you know, whatever, it's they're not evil. So we need to get back to a time and a place where it's okay to disagree, and um, and I, we're not there right now. So what do you think is going to happen to the Republican Party? <laughs> what Republican Party? <laughs> Yeah, that's you, exactly yeah. right. Well, I'm I, th- sorry. I think sorry, if I think I, if sorry, it, I think if uh, if Trump decides to uh, carry on in, in in a political sense, he is going to uh, take his whole wing of the party mm-hmm. into uh, you know into another another level. Right. And I I could see that that would that that would actually be uh, uh, the end of of the uh, Republican Party as as we have known it, and there would be either a new mm-hmm. Republican Party or some some new uh, party altogether. Yeah, and I wouldn't it, really call them Republicans, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I uh, let, me, let me put I mean, this I is not a Reagan – this, this isn't a Reagan Republican no. Party anymore. It's not. No, it isn't. At all. But, at all. It, but there are Reagan Republicans yeah. left. Yeah. Let me put it this way. Uh, you, you have to realize I actually wrote a whole book on this. <laughs> so well, uh, the rise of that maybe you did a little yeah. too well, early. <laughs> no, actually, no. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, number one, I'm not as negative on this side of the equation because, especially when you look at the events of the last, uh, you know, 24, 48 hours, you go into six or seven months down the road, the Republican Party will be a populist, conservative party. You know, basically, in many ways, it'd be Trump's. It's Trumpism without Trump. At this point, and I'm I'm not as negative on this as Coco and, and you are for a simple reason, because I look I look at the leadership of the party that people don't see, you know Tom Cotton, you know Ron Don Santinas, uh, you know Christy Noem, Nikki Haley, uh, you, uh, Marco Rubio. I mean, we literally you look at the number of people we have under the age of 55, who are basically are ready to step in. And I would look at the Democratic Party. They have a much worse party, much worse problem, because you got – I mean just today, over the Oversight Committee, AOC is now part of the Oversight Committee in the House. Translation, the, you know, the Socialist Party, the Socialists have taken over the Democratic Party. And so what's going to be worse? Which side is – which would be worse down the road politically speaking? I would say once people realize what the socialist movement – of Alexander Cortez is going to car- curtail. Uh, uh, I'm not as you know, We'll see. But I'm, you know, the, the thing is, we got yeah, young but, leadership. But Tom, no that, idea that, there. That depends yeah. on Trump. If Trump, if Trump decides to maintain a, a political career, so to speak, 
and and be and and be and he is active as a uh, as a uh, politician and 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 a, a force in American politics. Then you've got a very divisive character, um, you know, that has to be dealt with. If he doesn't, then the Cottons and the uh, Rubios and the younger generation will probably take over, and and that well, might I mean, be he- yeah, that yeah. might be healthier. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, let me let me throw let me throw it back and I'll throw the and I won't get George in this. Is this first one and one? You got a guy 74, 73, 74 years old. Yeah. Two thousand twenty four. He's going to be seventy eight. Uh, seventy eight. Right. Uh, and, and I'm just telling you, yeah. And I'm just telling you, down the road, within the next year or so, the Republican Party will be a different party because you also got to remember one other aspect that comes is into a play. Party, Tom. It's already a different well, yeah, party. But it's, it's not going to be. It's pretty much is. I mean, they're Reagan what? conservatives who, you know, voted for yeah. Biden. I know plenty of them, you know. Well, you know if, well, if I, I was still considered I a conservative, I would too. I hate to tell you this, but anybody voted for Biden is not a Reaganite conservative. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you would, know what? I, I would agree that's with a total that. bullshit. I'm uh, telling uh, that right uh, now. Yeah, because, I'm, I'm just, you know, just I'm because, just because you. you're a conservative, you have to follow Trump's footsteps? No, that's not how no. it goes. You don't no, have to not. follow. Any, it's not a cult. It's not a cult. You don't have, you know, when you yeah. vote for someone, you know, you vote yeah. because of who you believe in. I mean, I'm still a registered Republican, and I voted for Biden, and I voted for Hillary back in 2016, but the minute Trump decided to run, you know, the lot of, lot of these true Reagan conservatives, you know, and you can disagree yeah. with me all you want, but I, I'm laying out facts right now. You know, they do not like Trump. They don't. I, I they'd rather, they'd rather that, have, you know, if you're going to lay out a few facts, if you're pro-life, right, George, which right. people would be, um, let's be honest, voting for, for Biden does great violence to the pro-life cause. If you believe in court, Well, I can really give a shit about the pro-life movement, to be honest with you, because they're disgusting. Yeah. Oh, a yeah. lot of them, you know, yeah, are 70, clinics. Uh, and, and no, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm oh, saying oh, facts oh, right oh, now. Seven, so, 75, I mean, 75 million people voted okay. for Trump, so that's quite a few. Well, yeah. well anyhow, right, what uh, my point is, and if you believe in courts that are, um, that interpret the Constitution and don't act as a super legislature, then voting for Joe Biden makes no sense. I, so I understand saying to yourself, I don't like the personality of Donald Trump. I don't like the way he does things. But to say that, in, in, that the obvious answer for America from a public policy perspective is, is we need more Joe Biden, that if you're a Reagan conservative, that makes no sense. That's just What that's doing is basically saying I'm going to have – personality become the, my, my chief issue. Um, right. and, 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 that's and that's, right. I think, the way it, it played out. But the other thing... By the way, just real quick here, before we go any further, uh, we do have another individual who wants to join in the conversation a little bit. Uh, Mr. Bachelor, welcome. Uh, good evening. Uh, I'll be very brief. Um, I, I heard a little bit of all the conversation that you guys are having in terms of Reagan Republicans and 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 socialism and everything. Uh, but with all due respect, um, Trump supporters staged a coup. They took over Capitol Hill. That hasn't happened since 1872 or something along those lines. Had that been black folks or people of, of color 
who have been on the street, peaceful protesting, and I've been to those, they would have got their heads banged in. But instead, law enforcement took their time to come and protect those who were duly elected to, to, to pass laws. So all of those, and you can take it for what you are, take it for what it is, that supported this man who say, oh, well, he's Trump and Trump, who see 70 million people that he told to go to, to march to Capitol Hill, and, 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 and they, they got brutally, uh, it wasn't even a peaceful thing. But those who enabled him, Republicans and the Democrats who cowed down to him, have blood on their hands. If you support this man, and you can't, you can't have a conversation about what just happened in Washington, then you have blood on your hands. It's not about socialism. It's not about who's, who's Reaganomics or anything. It's, a, yeah. it's about the, the people who just went to Washington and took over the Capitol. Like, I mean, the, well, how does nobody crazy. see like, that? Right. I agree with you. And it's crazy. People are saying, well, it's not really Trump. Or it's like, no, I'm pretty sure it is. But, you know, people, a lot of conservatives like to believe what they like to believe, um, you know, and that's fine. I mean, that's who they are. But if you literally are watching this, like I was watching this all day, worried that I have friends who work in the Capitol who weren't responding to me, you know, that's scary. That's really scary. And for someone to tell me, oh, well, it's really not Trumpers. No, you know what? It is. If you can't accept the fact that maybe some Trump supporters are like completely batshit crazy, well, then, you know, maybe you should join the Trump party in itself and leave the Republican Party. That's what I truly believe. Okay, I got to comment on this because because uh, I've been on the show for about a year, and we had riots, and we had groups like Ativa taking over cities like Seattle and Portland, and and we've had people, and we did not have a lot of Democrats out there saying, "Yeah, let's condemn Ativa." Even when Biden during the election. Never once used the word I condemn Ativa. Oh, he said I condemn violence. He never said I condemn Ativa. So don't sit back and, and talk about after people the, after nomination. Yeah, yeah. Don't. I don't want to hear the blood on your hands anymore because we're going to play that game. Who's got blood on their hands for the thirty people who were killed and these rights? Most of them in you know black communities. And who was responsible for those rights? They were not a bunch of. Those were not Trumpians. Number two, yes. You got a bunch of I mean, and I guess the question I'm going to throw back is that if we're going to play that game, just going to think of it this way: then are you going to take responsibility for Atiba and the violence they had? Of course not. Any more than let's say you've got a few thugs who got who who acted and people have condemned. I've yet to hear anybody. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the creators, and and everybody on this show has condemned those people, condemned the violence. And it's not necessarily – this is not what Trumpism any more than, let's say, Antiva is about Bidenism. I mean, you know, that nonsense is going to stop on my show. Now, I'll talk – Dr. Larry can deal with himself on – deal with that. But this blood on your hands nonsense, no. You can say very clearly, unless you're prepared to say Antiva is part of Bidenism, then – yeah. And nobody would make that statement. These people are not part of the Trump movement or the part of – and let's be, you know, Trump movement. 
and and we act like that you know that over the past four years nothing has happened. And there's been a lot of accomplishments of this president, and unfortunately, it's being overseen and overdone by uh, you know what's being done. So I'm gonna tell you what. Okay, I'm gonna give. Let us see. Uh, uh, well, okay, Coco, I'm gonna give you a shot at this. I, okay, I was Dr. trying. Larry, you, my, Tom, what? I was trying to. I was trying to take a break here at 7:40. <laughs> I know. Uh, but so, you know what? I was I was on a roll. I'm sorry. I was on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're listening to the uh, Resistance Hour on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Okay. Oh, by the way, just before I go, Coco just sent me a message that she's got a, a few things to take care of, so I want to thank Coco uh, for uh, for being on the show, and thank you, Coco, uh, for your words. Uh, you you did great as you always do. Well, hello, Coco. Well, I I'm gonna say good night. <laughs> um, well, it's nothing good to do with you guys. Night, I, I, Irene. It's nothing to do with you, with you guys. I actually found out um, yesterday. I have a tapeworm inside me, so it's oh. causing me like super super. Um, being very extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> well, good right. luck with that. I yeah. well, good yes, night. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Good night. Yeah, good night. Okay, well, All right, Larry. Go well, um, you know, I, I, it seemed to me that uh, that there that, that there is a um, a lot of uh, things that can be said about the what happened today. And uh, and it's not not none of it is none of it's very good for anybody, frankly. Uh, whether you're for Trump or for Biden or or for Muriel Browser, for that matter. Um, so uh, I, I'm I'm very concerned, though, that that we we saw what we saw today is the possible precursor of a really much more violent and much more um, uh, armed type of civil war and uh, I just I just hope that we can that the uh, ruling party now is going to have enough um, respect for the American traditions and 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 uh, and personal freedom and so on not to try to impose a, a, a real socialistic government on us because there are a lot of people in America like 75 million of them that probably won't like that that's that's well, my, okay, I'm gonna, yeah, my idea yeah I'm gonna make yeah I want to here's the thing I, because you know people say you know for example you know you know I mean, I know, like, for example, some of those people that were like the Lincoln Project, half of them ended up joining the Democratic Party after the election. So that's not Reaganite Democrat, uh, Reaganite Republican. But I'm going to put it in this way. 
what is Trumpism? You know, we again, let's look at the you know what Trumpism. Trumpism basically is a populist conservative movement and forming a different coalition. It's a coalition of the middle class. It's a coalition of the urban centers. It can right. be a coalition that would include the the, the suburbanites. You know, basically, it was you know this is I mean eighty percent of what he did any Republican would have done, but there's that twenty percent. Where he okay in foreign policy, you know, getting us out of you know, so trying to prevent us from getting into any more endless wars, basing your foreign policies on let's say looking at the real threat, which happens to be China. Uh, I mean, the man has accomplished quite a bit. I, uh, and it's not like this is. I mean, we act like this is totally foreign from Republicans or even conservatism. Uh, we've gone through let's say this populist conservative movement before. You know, Reagan himself had a populist side to him, but he lived in a different era as far as, you know, policy goes. And if you look at the history of William McKinley, you know, people tend to forget, you know, William McKinley put a pretty broad coalition that included a good portion of the working population as part of that coalition of his in the late 1890s going into the the early 20th century. Uh, That's my thoughts. I'll let you two uh, hammer that one out. Well, how about George? You you ought to give George a chance. Sure. Well, yeah. I was just going to say one of the reasons why I'm probably a little more um, upbeat about options is one of the things that the Democratic Party tends to do when it wins elections is overplay its hand. And they did that with Barack Obama, and then you had 2010, with, which you know changed the whole political landscape. In 2008, they were talking about the, the death of the Republican Party. And then in 2010, they controlled the House and the Senate. Um, you know, so – um, a lot, it's going to be a rough couple of years because I think the mischief that uh, and the kind of acquiescence to China, um, you know, again, like a Reaganite's going to vote for Biden, understanding that he's a corrupt and b he's a, a totally co-opted by the Chinese. That makes no sense to me. That's just I'm sorry, can't buy that. If you know, that's not serious. Um, but having said that, um, the bottom line, I guess, is this. Um, we got a couple rough couple of years ahead of us as a as a democratic republic. Um, I hope we can keep it together. But my guess is is that, that in two years we may have a very different political outlook because the Democrats don't generally, when they have have the hands of, their hands on the powers of lever, use them responsibly. They almost always overreach. They go out and try to you know take over the entire medical arena, and then there's this big backlash. And you know, a new movement's born. The party, the Tea Party, shows up, and all of a sudden, it's made up of new people who hadn't been involved in politics, but they've been mugged, and now they're upset, and so they're now politically active and get involved. So, um, I suspect in the next two years, the Democrats will mug a lot of Americans who have historically not been very politically active, and make them politically active. So that means that the resistance hour ought to have a lot to talk about. I think you will. I think you you will you will not have many many slow news days. Is my prediction. So what do you think, Tom? Well, I agree. I mean, like I said, I'm more of a because I I'm more of an optimist in the sense that uh, I you know I'm going to say a year from now, you know, Trump will not be the center of the party. No matter how hard he tries, no matter what may be done, he may want to set his own media. I mean, whatever he may do. I mean, you're looking at a man who's in his 70s, 
I mean, if he was 65 or 55, I would say there's a different perspective here. Yeah, but I the reality right. is that, you know, Trumpism without Trump is what we're going to be headed for. And there's aspects of Trumpism that, quite honestly, was not was it, was accomplished. I mean, it's, let me put yeah. it this way. You know, I, you know, when people, you know, compare Trump foreign policy to Obama's foreign policy. And the answer is it was superior. Obama and Biden and, and you know, Jordan, down. you've had experience. You've had experience in this. You had the IRS on your ass when Obama mm-hmm. and Biden were president and vice president. So we know mm-hmm. the civil liberty side of the equation certainly is not safe with this, you know, with this particular uh, generation of people. Uh, and and so I well I I just I have a much different feel mainly because. We are the party of the middle. We have become the party of the middle class. The oligarchies have now become Democrats. The wealthy have become Democrats. It's a party of the really rich, and it's a party of the really poor. What it's not is a party, you know, of the people. Well, I, I agree with you about about Trump. I I, I think Trump's uh, age is is a factor, and I also think he made a colossal mistake uh, here in the last couple of weeks, particularly today, uh, because uh, no matter whether whether it's true or not, uh, he is going to be blamed for whatever happened uh, and still might happen uh, in Washington D.C. today. And and he let himself in for that, and uh, I think that that discredited him, uh, even with the even with a lot of people that that uh, that follow him or that that believe in him. I, I still think he is a strong enough character that, and, and a strong enough force that if he were to really uh, seriously get into the political world as a independent uh, party person uh, he probably still could uh, make a lot of he, he would attract a lot of attention and a lot of loyalty but um, I, I just I, I think that that's not I I tend to agree with you Tom I, I don't think that's going to happen uh, I don't think even maybe even he wants it to happen I think he's probably about ahead enough but maybe not, George. You you uh, you you're pretty close to all this. What do you think? Um, I, I think that um, you're right that over time the uh, you know new leadership is going to show up because that's how it works. Um, and in fairness, um, you know, I, the, I, one of the things I think is important to recognize is today Donald Trump did actually condemn the violence and Twitter. Um, you know, shut down the uh, and people weren't allowed to you know spread it around. Uh, you know, and it's kind of interesting because it's like, I'm, what's objectionable about him saying, despite your frustrations with the election and fraud, there should be no violence in the streets? Kind of message, which is what it was. But because he mentioned election fraud, um, they banned it. And um, you know, I just that's not helpful. Um, Again, I do think that – and I'm very happy to condemn violence. That's not a hard issue for me. It's just um, – it's a little difficult for me, though, to attribute every act 
that somebody who claims they support Trump engages in, um, you know, and, and then say, therefore, Trump is morally culpable. Uh, he yeah. might be. It just depends. I want to see the facts. I want to see what he said to them exactly. If he, you know, but the fact that he's upset that he was, you know, in his mind cheated out of uh, the election, and they're upset about that. I don't think that's enough. I don't think he has any obligation to say it's okay to cheat any more than I would be willing to say it's okay to uh, commit acts of violence. I mean, I, cheating's wrong, stealing's wrong, violence is wrong. Um, you know, and I'm. I, I don't think that's an odd way to see the world, but um, but I do think at some point, um, and he did say, "Hey, make sure there's no violence out there. This is not appropriate." And then the uh, you know the left wing media tries to hide that and make sure it doesn't get out, and then they try and say he's to blame for all this. I'm like, ah, oh, wait a minute, there's a little problem there. I'm having a hard time connecting these yeah. dots. Yeah, but but don't you think that that public perception is not quite as uh... Discriminating as that? I mean, you're you're, oh, you're taking, you, you sound like a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. No, that, well, yeah. I am a lawyer. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, yeah, no, that's a fair point. I think um, it's easy to just kind of like say, okay, um, you know, the people, you know, the example would be when when Ronald Reagan was shot. I, there's no evidence of this, but let's just, was it Tip O'Neill's fault? Because Tip O'Neill said Ronald Reagan sucked and whatever, you know, had to say negative about him and his agenda. And we didn't live in a world where that was the, con- with the context of conversations back then. And I fear we're getting to that. I don't want a world in which some handful of lunatics who happen to politically or otherwise, or maybe just like in H- Hinckley's case, trying to get the attention of somebody, um, acts in a way that could arguably be beneficial to one party or the other, then we attribute their evil act to that party that might be there. That's what our criminal law requires for that. We don't do guilt by association. And and, and I, I, I don't want guilt by association. So I'm not willing to uh, to go down that path, not because it's Trump. I as a lawyer, I've, my whole career has been based on the rule of law and I want to see the evidence, I, and I'm happy to, you know, convict but, people in the court of public opinion as evidence they've done something. Yeah, but, uh, the, but I, the, I don't like the idea of association. But the topic is: uh, is Trump going to be a factor in the uh, American political life? Let's say a year from now. What do you think? Yes or no? I, well, yeah, I do think he will be. I think, for example, if I were the uh, governor of uh, uh, Georgia running for re-election, or the, I probably would just decide that that one term was enough for me because he's not going to win re-election because Trump's going to show up and make sure he doesn't. So rather than take the whole party down with him, he should probably just, you know, move on. So you think that, that Trump will be campaigning for various uh, people as as time goes on? I think he will. I I, I don't think he'll be the primary focus of the party, but I think he'll continue to play a role in the party and it won't be an inconsequential role. And in a case like that, where I do think that the uh, secretary of state and the governor made some serious missteps, um, the constitution is pretty clear who should make up the rules for uh, voting for president and how those votes will be uh, counted and attributed. The constitution says unequivocally, it's a state legislature. They both agreed to a consent decree which, you know, it's like, what, you guys failed high school civics? Um, but at any rate, um, 
having said that, um, I think that, you know, he'll play a role there, but I don't think all across the country in a year or two from now that Trump will be the focus of all of our efforts, but he might be in certain spots. Well, and, we've, uh, we're, we've got the la- a la- less than a minute to go, and we want to thank you for uh, joining us tonight, uh, George. And uh, we'll uh, and Tom, uh, uh, you were pretty quiet here toward the end, so I I suspect that you're 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 holding your ammunition. <laughs> no, I'm just you know, no, I'm just like to say I I think I said more than enough, and I think I figured that you and George needed to conclude this and put this on a nice peaceful end. <laughs> so is this like a night for us? <laughs> well, uh, uh, it's time to say goodnight to everybody, and uh, this is the Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry Fidoa and Tom Tom Donaldson. And tonight we had uh, uh, lawyer Jar- uh, George uh, Landreth and uh, Coco Konsky with us, and uh, we will try to keep everybody entertained from here on in with the Resistance Hour. Good night, and God bless America.